You're tuned in to the New Life Fellowship audio service. Here at New Life, we believe in facilitating a worship service that reflects the abundant new life that Jesus wants to give us in John 10.10. As you listen to today's sermon, feel free to share points that stand out to you on social media and use the hashtag NewLifeAU to join the national conversation. Enjoy today's message. Father, we come to you, surrendering everything to you, God. We offer you our hearts, even though they might be broken and wounded. We offer you our hands and feet, God, that you would let them do what you would have for them to do. And even now in this moment, as we are here to hear the word of God, we offer you our minds, our souls, our spirits, that the word that you have for us today, Lord, that it would land in our hearts and it would bear much fruit. Speak through me now and speak to all of us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's a blessing to be able to speak to you all one last time before I go. And um, I got to say it, it's happening. It's happening. Um, and the Lord just put something on my heart to kind of help you as you continue to journey on your way. So if you would allow me, I'd like to speak to you under the subject, fight me. (laughs) Anybody bring their devices with the Bible app on it? Anybody have an actual Bible? Don't be shamed. I see you. I see you, boo. I see you. I see you. Well, open it. Click it, whatever you got to do. Acts chapter 16. The book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. And I'm reading in the NASB. It's on the screen. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Verse 17, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. Verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them 
and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, better understood as the under prison, and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, look at your neighbor and say, suddenly. And suddenly, there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. As I told you, our topic today is fight me. And it's best understood in the context of last week. Chap started off our Occupy series by reminding us that trouble is unavoidable. Not only is trouble unavoidable, but as Christians, as children of God, we are called to trouble in order to change it. And then he reminded us that as difficult as that might be, and as much as sometimes that stirs up even more trouble, there's a blessing. He reminded us of taken from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, in the Michael Polite, I didn't come to play with y'all version. And it says, blessed are the troublemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And we all got excited when he got towards the end of his sermon. And he talked about that little yellow creature. Once he realized that he couldn't avoid trouble, we got excited when what? He said, I got a bat. And we all got so excited that this little creature finally has a bat. When I say we celebrated, did you not celebrate? I know I celebrated. And we celebrated for good reason because we identify with this little yellow creature's plight. He's just out here trying to stay out of trouble. We know what that feels like. He's been spending so much time feeling powerless against his trouble. And we know what that feels like too. So when he gets a bat, we get excited because we realize, wait a minute. We got a bet, right? And we think, we get excited about this bat because we reason that, well, if, if this bat will help me fight trouble, then maybe I can use this bat to help minimize trouble's effects on me, right? Okay, okay. So, so maybe if I swing the bat right, I can control how near or how far trouble gets to me. Right? Maybe if I swing the bat right, I can control how long trouble lasts. Or maybe if I swing the bat right, I can control how big or how small the trouble is. And that's not bad. And with this thing, this logic in mind, a lot of us developed a game plan as soon as we heard about that bat. And you know what that game plan was? As soon as the gate opens, we swing it on everything. We swing it on every single thing, right? Is there anyone else besides me that had that game plan? Is it just me? I hear some of you. Some of y'all, y'all being fake. Y'all know full well, y'all was about to, I got a bat, I'm swinging on everything. And here's the thing, it's not wrong to swing, right? But I think sometimes we take it a little bit to the extreme. Why? Well, because we don't just, just swing on the trouble that's near, we don't just swing on the trouble that's actually present. If we see anything that looks like trouble in the distance, we start swinging. 
So if cousin Junebug come up about to say something, we start swinging on Junebug. Now he got a concussion. Grandma, she old, she don't understand what you're doing, so it sounds like opposition, so you done knocked grandma out the chair. You done swung the bat on her. You see rain falling from the sky, and you're like, this could become a storm. So your behind is outside swinging at raindrops. We get really crazy with this, and this sounds hilarious, right? Like, who is outside swinging a bat at the rain? Who is doing this? But the fact is, we are. Can you be honest? Listen, when I heard about this bat, I started thinking about everything, every bit of trouble that I haven't even encountered yet, right? Because I'm looking at a future where there's a lot of uncertainty involved. And so I'm trying to, to, to prepare for every eventuality, right? And so I'm already swinging my bat for troubles I haven't even encountered yet, and troubles I may not encounter at all. So I'm one of the ones outside swinging at raindrops. Anybody else swinging at raindrops? You don't have to raise your hand. Appreciate you, those being honest. I appreciate it. And, and it's, not, it's not like something's wrong with you for having that response, right? It's human. You felt powerless against trouble for so long. And now that you have a weapon, why won't you use it? Especially when you've already been through so much trouble and trouble has not been nice to you. Right? It's a natural response to say, okay, you know what, I'm swinging on everything. And I'm not going to wait till you get big or till you get close. I'm swinging on you right now. Before you get here, I'm swinging. Right? And that's a natural response. But I started thinking about how much energy that would take. Imagine the physical exertion it would take to stand outside, swinging at the rain, trying to make sure it doesn't hit you. Firstly, you won't be successful. But second, you will have spent so much energy swinging at the rain, you won't have any energy for anything else, right? Now, flip that over to, flip that over into our trouble scenarios. Imagine how much energy you're using, swinging at everything that even looks like trouble. Imagine how much energy you exert to the point where you barely have the energy to do what it is you're actually called to do. So this left me with a bit of a problem, a little bit of a challenge, right? Because we have the bat, but if we just swinging it all crazy, then we're going to run out of energy. So is it wrong to swing the bat? No, it's not wrong to swing the bat. In, in our story, Paul swings the bat, and we'll get into that in a minute. But Paul, he swung that bat. He sure did in our story. So it's not wrong to swing the bat. It becomes a matter of the best use of our energy. How do we best use this bat? Now, let me just pause here and um, just acknowledge that uh, we are not talking about a literal bat, okay? We are not talking about <laughs> a baseball bat you, go, you got from Dick's Sporting Goods, okay? This is not what this is, okay? The bat represents your time, your energy, and your resources to fight. The bat represents your time, your energy, and your resources to fight. So when we're talking about swinging the bat, we're, it's, it's not, we're, not, we're not committing acts of violence, okay? All right? It's your time, your energy, and your resources. So if we could better rephrase the question, 
What we're trying to discover is how do we best use our time, energy, and resources to fight trouble? Because clearly swinging at the rain doesn't make sense. Well, the first thing is we have to acknowledge that answering that question depends on the kind of trouble you encounter. Did you know there are different kinds of trouble? Somebody say yes, somebody got a testimony. Yeah, there are different kinds of trouble. There are two main types of trouble. The first one is setback trouble. Trouble that sets you back. And the thing about setback trouble is that it's persistent, it's fierce, and that thing is creative. Because even though its sole goal is to mute your voice so that you can never accomplish your purpose, that's all it ever wants to do. It's gonna manifest itself in a million and one different ways. But it's all setback trouble, no matter how it manifests. And if we look at our passage, we find quite a few examples of how it manifests. Now, I'm not gonna sit here and say these are all the ways that setback trouble manifests. I'm just saying poor Paul went through six of them. Poor thing. In one story, this is not even his entire his entire story. Before this time, he had already been stoned. Before this time, they had already plotted against his life. He had already been put out of cities already. And then he's dealing with six different types of trouble just in this one little city, okay? Now, what kind of trouble is the first trouble? Setback trouble. I need y'all to talk to me. What kind of trouble is it? Yes, come on, come on. She said, I'm going to say it for all of y'all because y'all out here playing. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Setback trouble. Now, when we look at our story, if you go to verse 13 of our story, Acts chapter 16, come back. Come on. It's all right. Come back. Acts chapter 16, if you look at verse 13, we'll see one of the ways that setback trouble manifests. So, remember, Paul has already been stoned at this point in other cities and he survived and he was left for dead but he actually survived he's been kicked out they've plotted against his life people have been talking bad about them people have been opposing him all this stuff so in verse 13 and normally let me just give you this background normally when Paul would go into a city he would go into the synagogues and teach he would go into the city centers and teach and generally crowds would gather this time, if you look in verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the river where there would be a place of prayer, and they sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. In other words, Paul's like, look, y'all done stoned me once. I already know how y'all going to be if people start gathering in the city. Let's just go outside the city and just sit by the river. And we're just going, I'm not even going to stand. I'm just going to sit. going to look like a little Bible study picnic. Ain't even going to draw no attention to myself. He's trying to scale it down. Why? Because some trouble isn't worth the energy it would take to fight it. Worthless trouble. I call it worthless trouble because it's not worth the energy it would take to fight it. So the strategy in dealing with it is to just prevent it altogether. So Paul decides, you know what? I know what that trouble's going to look like. I'm going to prevent it. Let's just go outside the city gates. Okay. Okay, so you have worthless trouble. Then, if you skip down to verse 16, you'll find hidden trouble. 
It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much money and fortune, etc., etc. She was following after them and she was crying out, these men are bond servants of the most high God. They are proclaiming the way of salvation. That sounds positive, doesn't it? But that's what hidden trouble does. Hidden trouble disguises itself in positive behavior in order to mask its ulterior motive. Because what we know from the story is that these positive things are coming from a possessed girl. So she's under the control of a demon speaking and behaving positively. It's hidden trouble. Because to everyone looking around, well, she's just complimenting them. And if you are not careful, you could find yourself being lulled to sleep by compliments that are coming from a demon. Because she's speaking positively. She's speaking positive things. It's just a demon that's saying it. And many of us are very much okay with hidden trouble because some of it makes us feel good. Some of it gives us that ego stroke. These are bondservants of the Most High God. See? See, they see me. And we give them more space than they should and more platform than they should have because the trouble is hidden. But we know from the text that she's possessed. So you have to wonder, what's the purpose of this compliment? Where is this coming from? The strategy with that is to be careful. You can't just retaliate, you can't just start swinging because all they said was something nice. Anybody ever been in a situation where you're around people and you pick up, okay, something's a little off, something's a little shady. You say, oh my, y'all got testimonies. They're saying the right things, but it doesn't feel fully genuine. Our challenge is to follow our instincts and start checking it immediately. Well, that's my instinct. But that's not, how, that's not the best way to deal with that. Because if she had only done this for one day, and then they check her immediately and cast the spirit out, they're like, yo, they kind of flipped out. All she gave them was a compliment. They were like, yo, come out of her. And then she left, and that was it and they wouldn't have a full understanding of what actually took place. So you have to control your natural reflexes, control your instincts, and be cautious. Now, if you skip down to verse 18, we'll see the next type of trouble that he, that he encounters. So now she's going up and shouting all this stuff. These are women, men who are um, showing you, proclaiming the, the way of salvation, or really, literally, a way of salvation. And it says, she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. And so he turns around and casts out the spirit. So I know the first time I read this, the first few times I was like, how are you just going to be annoyed by her? How, won't you have compassion? I mean, hello, she's possessed, right? No? Okay. She's possessed. This isn't her own fault. So why would he be annoyed? He's not annoyed with her. He's annoyed with the spirit. Because when you recognize that there's some devilish something at work, then you automatically understand that you can't trust whatever the behavior is, positive or negative, right? Now, Paul decides, okay, this is many days of this happening. Now, Paul decides, okay, I've, I've, I was cautious. I, I didn't overreact, but now it's time for me to turn around and check you. So he swings the bat. Come out of her, unclean spirit. And she's freed that very hour. 
But why did he swing the bat this time? Because this is the kind of trouble where if it's infectious, if you don't check it, it will spread and it will get worse. Think about it. Here is this possessed girl who is heralding these men, men of God, right? One of two things could happen. Either people who know her and know her reputation will begin to associate her negative reputation with Paul, which will then tarnish the message they're trying to proclaim, or people will begin to associate her with the positive reputation of Paul, which will then give credence to the demonic work she's actually doing. So it's the kind of thing that is infectious. If you do not check it, it will get worse. So after a point, you do have to address it. So come out of her, unclean spirit. So this is where Paul swings the bat because it's something that has to be checked because it can become harmful to the purpose he's there to accomplish. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, we gotta keep going because this, is this is, isn't even a good part yet. So, so the next type of trouble you find is defaming trouble. And this is in verse 19. Defaming trouble. Defaming. Because in defamation of character, trouble. Verse 19, her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, so they seized Paul and they dragged them to the authorities. Through the town center to the authorities. And then they began hurling all these false accusations at them. This is the kind of trouble, defaming trouble is the kind of trouble that seeks to discredit your work. Amen. Defaming trouble is the kind of trouble that seeks to discredit your work. In the courts of public opinion. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're doing the work of the Lord, nothing can really take away from what you've actually done, right? So defaming work isn't necessarily actually diminishing what you've done. It's just shifting public opinion about your work. And this one is hard for us in the day of social media where everybody sees everything that's happening with us and everybody feels like they have the right to have an opinion and voice it because, you know, everybody got keyboard courage now, right? It's difficult. It's difficult to just kind of to deal with this type because we're, we're so attached to what people think of us. Right? And so our challenge, the temptation is when defaming trouble raises its head, well, let me go and just correct y'all because y'all got it wrong. The challenge, right, with, with addressing the public and their opinion is that you inadvertently end up validating their right to have an opinion on something about which their opinion does not matter. And it's challenging, but when you come up against defaming trouble, you gotta watch your mouth. Your temptation is to use it to defend yourself, but you have to watch it because what you say could become fodder for more negative opinions. This is the time to kind of hold your peace and say only what is absolutely necessary. So this is defaming trouble. And then they level, levy false accusations against them. 
It says, these men are throwing our city into confusion. Do you see any account of confusion? Were they even meeting in the city? All he did was set one girl free from a demon. All of a sudden, they're throwing the city into confusion. One false accusation. Being Jews, yes, culturally, they were Jews, but they were Roman citizens as well. So they're now trying to skew that. And then it says, they're proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or observe. Christianity at this point was not yet outlawed. It wasn't even called Christianity. That's something we did later. But it wasn't outlawed. And at that point, it was just a new branch of Judaism. So it wasn't outlawed. The Romans were very well acquainted with the various sects of, of Jews. So this was not a challenge. It wasn't that, oh, this is not lawful. That's also a false accusation. And in the midst of all of these false accusations, Paul holds his peace. He doesn't swing the bat. He keeps his cool. Then, after the defaming trouble, my Lord, then comes the intimidating trouble. Intimidating trouble tries to scare you into abandoning your purpose in a given place. Intimidating trouble tries to scare you into abandoning your purpose in a given place. And if we look at, is it verse 22? Verse 22, we see what they did. The crowds rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off. Now this is your physical person trying to scare you in some sort of way. And nowadays, because of the way that laws have progressed and, and people have progressed somewhat, uh, I don't know, depending on where you are, there's less of a likelihood that something like this happens just as, as easily as this, as this. But it is possible for people to bully you in terms of, for example, the professor bullying you with, with your grade, intimidating you with that. Um, a, a boss intimidating you with your, your job, your rate of pay, your hours worked, your promotion. Your field of study or a scholarly field intimidating you with their ideas because what you're bringing is different and new. So intimidation happens in more than just the physical sense in which Paul experienced it. So here now, the magistrates, the people in charge, ordered them to be beaten with rods. I got to be honest. If this was me, I'd be swinging the bat. Do you see what I'm saying? Excuse me. Hi. Hi. You took my robe. Can I have that back? Oh, no, I can't? Give my robe. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be, I'd be, let's, let's, let's swing this bat. You got a bat, Silas? Timothy, you got your, let's go. Everybody getting knocked out. Everybody. Right? But if you notice, Paul and them, they don't respond that way. Paul is being strategic. Later, if you read the, the following chapters, Paul decides not to retaliate because he knows his rights as a Roman citizen have been violated. So he's waiting until he can actually be heard so that he can be vindicated publicly since he was already dragged publicly. So he's being strategic. And if he were to retaliate, he would then make, make the these false claims seem more true. 
So the challenge when you're being intimidated is not to retaliate, especially when you're good with your words. You know how to turn a phrase and threaten somebody right on back. They don't even realize what you just said. Okay. So, so that's, that's the fifth intimidating troubles. Then there's one more thing, one more kind of trouble. Let's review because someone is looking questioned. How do we get to number five? Okay, let's go back. We have worthless trouble, not worth the energy. Hidden trouble disguises itself with positivity. Infectious trouble, if left unchecked, it will damage everything. Defaming trouble seeks to discredit your work in public opinion. Number five, intimidating trouble tries to scare you out of completing your purpose in a given place. And then number six, after they beat them, and this is in verse 24, after they had, when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a commandment, he threw them into the inner prison, which is under the jail, and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is binding trouble. And for most of us, we're not going to experience the threat of being thrown into prison. Most of us, most of us, if you're doing social justice, social action, something like that, you might experience the threat of prison. But most of us won't experience the threat of prison. And so we're like, well, binding trouble is not really a thing. No, no, no. Remember when Balaam tried to prophesy negatively against the, the, the Israelites? for the sake of the evil king, and he couldn't. What did he tell the king? If you get them to disobey God, they will end up in captivity. They will end up bound. So some of the trouble that comes to you comes to you to try and get you to disobey God, to, to, to step off the course that he's laid for you so that you are now susceptible to being bound by whatever this sin is that you let in. This is binding trouble. But the, the key to getting through binding trouble is to worship anyway. No matter how stuck you feel, no matter how tied down you feel, no matter how boxed in you feel, open your mouth and worship anyway. Because we find Paul in chapter 25 at midnight still praying and singing hymns. And this was the very thing that this set up trouble, set back trouble was trying to, to do. The setback trouble was trying to mute their voices. But even when they were bound... They were still found praying and singing, and the prisoners heard. And now this is where it gets a little tricky for a lot of us. Because in verse 26, it says, At midnight, they were found praying and singing praises, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly, there was an earthquake. So much so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And when I started reading that the first time, we all got a little excited, right? For Paul, because we know how Paul's story ends, right? But when we're in our story and the ground starts shaking, we get more afraid than we get excited. 
because we feel like if it shakes things up enough, it could crush me. If it shakes up my money enough, it could ruin my finances. If it shakes up my husband or my wife or my boyfriend or my girlfriend enough, it could ruin our relationship. If it shakes up my boss enough, it could ruin my job. If it shakes up my faith enough, it could ruin my future. So when things start shaking around us, we don't get excited like we did for Paul because we feel like, well, we know how his story ends. But we feel like we don't know how our story is supposed to end. Right? You ever seen those, those Instagram posts where people will make a random claim and then be like, hashtag fight me? Y'all ever seen those? Right? Like, one of the famous ones that I've seen would be either whether you're Ghanaian or Nigerian, on one side or the other, the argument over the jollof rice, a Ghanaian would say, Ghanaian jollof rice, better with all the little greater than signs. Hashtag fight me. Nigerians would say the same thing about Nigerian style jollof rice. People would say, some people would say that about New York pizza. Fight me, okay? Testimony. Amen. Somebody, some people would say that about Chicago deep dish. Fight me. Some people say Garrett's is the best popcorn in life. Fight me, right? Uh, uh. Then there's also the sugar grits issue. Sugar grits is the best. Fight me. I, I might actually fight you. That's, that's gross. That's gross. But, but the, the point of it, the point of it, right, is not to say, oh, I want y'all to fight me. The point of it is to say, I believe this thing to be true and nothing you say can shake me, right? The challenge is when we get in trouble and we start experiencing our earthquakes and the ground starts shaking up under us, we tend to say, I mean, well, fight me if you have to. You know? I mean, God, God's got me, so I mean, fight me if you have to. I really don't want you to, but I mean, if, you, if you're going to, I guess. That's how we feel. That's how we approach it. And we approach it that way because we feel like, oh, well, Paul experienced this type of, earth, this, this type of earthquake um, because he's Paul. But what if I told you, remember there are two types of trouble. What if I told you that the earthquake was not a setback type of trouble, but a set up type of trouble? What if I told you that the earthquake was trouble that was designed to catapult Paul right into his purpose? Think about it. Think about it. The, the prisoners hear him singing the gospel. That's what he came there to do. The earthquake shakes the foundation so much so that they're not crushed, but they are now freed. Prison doors are open. And you can tell that a change has happened in the hearts and minds of the prisoners because once the, the doors fly open, they still stay. To the point where now this man is about to fall on his sword and Paul says, no, 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 no. None of us is missing. We're all here. Then this man falls at Paul's feet and says, what must I do to be saved? This is what Paul was sent here to do. And it happened because of some trouble. And here's the challenge. We look at Paul and we think this is only Paul's testimony because he's Paul, right? Can I show you a few more witnesses? 
Joseph. Prison. That's trouble. Can we agree that prison is trouble? Can we agree? But here's the first blessing in, in, in the prison. The sentence for what he was accused of, sleeping with his master's wife, was death. So prison actually was saving his life. Once he got to prison, he connected with the cupbearer, who would now be his inside man in Pharaoh's court. Prison was the place where, being forgotten now by this cupbearer in prison, was the place where the warden realized, wait a minute, Joseph is really good at handling things. And now Joseph has two places of experience where they trusted him so much that they didn't even bother to check on him and just let him run stuff. This is going from being a slave to being the governor, to being accused of rape, to being put in prison, to being forgotten in prison, and now you're the warden of the prison. And then you go from being the warden of the prison to being the second in command over all Egypt. How did it happen? Because of some trouble. Okay, I know you're Joseph, but Joseph is, you know, he's, he's one of the fathers. Okay, Moses, he was a murderer. He had anger issues. He struck the rock, right? Sound a little bit more like you? Okay. Moses now is confronted with the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army behind him. Can we agree that that's trouble? Okay, now here's the challenge. Or here's the thing that I always thought about. There was another way that they could have gone where the sea would not have been an issue. Right? So I could imagine someone like Moses who, was, who has journeyed in the wilderness and never once encountered a sea. Do you remember that? The 40 years he spent out there? He didn't encounter a sea. I can imagine him thinking, God, why'd you take us through the sea? We didn't need this to escape. Right? But let's think about what the Red Sea accomplishes for the children of Israel. So God puts up this wall of fire to keep them at bay while they're walking across. While apparently people are still walking across, he takes up this wall of fire. Pharaoh and them start trying to follow them through the sea. This is the point where you're like, okay, God, but why would you move the fire? Why wouldn't you wait until we're all the way across? And then why would you leave the sea open? Close the sea. No? If this was me, I'd be like, God, why are you not? I mean, like, cl close the sea. Hello. They're going to follow us if you don't close it. Like, what are you doing? Seriously, pay attention. Are you not seeing this? But think about this. Had the Lord kept the fire in place and closed the sea behind the children of Israel, they would have simply went around the sea and continued to pursue them. So had God spared them of the trouble that they thought they were experiencing then, they would have been led into a life where trouble would have been continuously pursuing them. So now, this trouble at the Red Sea and this trouble where he lets the fire up a little too early ends with them following them into the sea and then God destroying them in the sea so that now this trouble that was pursuing them is done. So now the Israelites have true and complete deliverance from this Pharaoh. And how? Because of some trouble. I know, Moses was like the greatest prophet that there ever was, but the Bible says. So that still disqualifies you. Okay, Jonah. Tell me something good about him. 
This was the one who did not want to share the good news of God. This was the one who did not want the people to be converted, who was angry when they were converted, who literally endangered the lives of a whole ship full of people because he decided to go the wrong way. That Jonah, once he's overboard, a fish comes and swallows him. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days. And we often, can we agree that being swallowed by a fish is trouble? Is that not trouble? <laughs> Somebody said it's disgusting trouble. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree. Being swallowed by a fish is trouble. But here's what happened. Paul was, Paul, Jonah was already traveling the opposite direction from where he was supposed to go in Nineveh. So had he dropped into the sea, there was no way he would have been able to swim to shore. He would have died before he made it to shore. And if this fish didn't swallow him, some other fish would have chewed him. So, so Jonah now has his entire life saved in his little fish submarine, is coughed up right on the shores of where he was supposed to be in the first place, safe and intact, and he's whole. And he's closer to the purpose that he was sent to in the first place. And how? Because of some trouble. So, I want to encourage you. Because often we look at our trouble when the ground starts to shake beneath us, our finances start shaking, our grades, our future, whatever it is that starts to shake, we get afraid. And we might pray, I know God's got me. Hashtag fight me. God is in control. Hashtag fight me. He will supply all my needs. Hashtag fight me. This is how we approach it. But I want you to start thinking about the earthquake not as setback trouble, but as set up trouble. So that when things around you start to shake, you can say, you know what, my God will supply all my needs. Fight me. You can say, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Fight me. There is nothing impossible for God. Fight me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Fight me. My God rolls with all power and victory. Fight me. Nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God. Fight me. And this is the way we need to approach the next set of trouble that comes. Because not all trouble is setback trouble. Some trouble is set up trouble. So when you see your, the ground starting to shake beneath you, when you see your finances starting to shake, when you see your relationships starting to shake, when you see your friends and your family starting to shake, when you see your health starting to shake, when your job, your future, it begins to shake, I want you to look at it. Look at the word of God where he says he will do every single thing that he can do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. Fight me. Fight me. I'm trying to rein in the hood that's coming out right now. But I'm tired of looking out on trouble and being afraid. I'm tired of quoting scripture and praying and quote unquote somewhat believing God and saying, okay, well, fight me. 
Nah, fight me. My God is able. Fight me. There is nothing that I will not be able to do with God on my side. Fight me. There is a power that God has given those who call on him. He, he's working everything together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Fight me. Fight me. And I just want to encourage you to look at whatever your situation is and believe the word of God this time and realize that this trouble will not set you back. This trouble will set you up. So believe the word of God and look out on every imp, every naysayer, every demonic attack, every bit of trouble that might come and say, you know what? Fight me. Father God, right now, as easy as it is to say in this moment, fight me, we do realize that when we're feeling the ground shaking beneath our feet, it, it gets a little bit more challenging. But God, we believe you. We believe that your word is true and we believe that we serve a God who has designed trouble that will set us up for our purpose. And so God, we are not praying this prayer begging you to do something that you've already promised. Instead, God, we are praying this prayer believing that you are the God who will keep your word. We are praying this prayer thanking you, God, because we know that the word of the Lord will not return void, but it will accomplish what it is sent to and it will prosper in that thing, God. So we thank you, God. We thank you that we will be like trees planted by the river of water. God, we thank you that we will bring forth our fruit in due season. God, we thank you that our leaf will not wither no matter what the trouble is God and we thank you that whatsoever we do will prosper because your own word has said so God we thank you that you have exalted your name above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess so that now when we call upon your name all of our troubles have to bow God we say thank you we honor you God and we celebrate you because we serve a God but we can proclaim his word and then look out on our troubles and say fight me because we know it's true so God, we simply say thank you and we honor you and we bless you and we look forward to the trouble. We look forward to the shaking, God. And we pray that you would embolden us to be able to look out and say, fight me. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the New Life Fellowship audio service. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and that you will continue to tune in. New Life is located in the Seminary Chapel on the campus of Andrews University, and our services are held every Saturday at 11.45 a.m. Keep up with the latest information about what's happening at New Life by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and through our social media connections on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Simply type in New Life AU in the search bar, and you'll find us. Until next time, may the Lord bless you with a new love, new integrity, new faith, and a new experience.